Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Escape from Plan A podcast. I'm your host, Oxford Kondo. And today I'm here with Teen. Hey, what's up, everyone? And Millie, who is returning from our very popular Crazy Rich Asians podcast. Hey, guys. How's it going? What's up, Millie? What's up? Uh, so, hey, well, what's been going down with you guys lately? Uh, I think I've been seeing you guys a lot. <laughs> uh, last time we hung out, um, I think, was one of the more uh, memorable memorable events of uh, the recent weeks was um, when, when the three of us, along with many others, uh, showed up at Union Square for that Brett Kavanaugh protest uh, about 30 minutes after he was confirmed. Yeah, we summoned the Plan A army and a, a strong contingent, contingent showed up. Yeah, yeah. It was- I thought we made it. I thought we made a good showing in terms of making sure that you know Asian faces were seen as part of this uh, completely justified outpouring of anger and frustration yeah. and outrage over his. I try, I try to make sure to get myself in the line of sight of cameras so that they saw an Asian yeah. face in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. That was good. Yeah, I think that was smart. I mean, granted, you know, part of me was kind of like, "What are we doing here?" You know, we should be at home crying and having a quiet dinner. But yeah, Millie, you had you had some very strong reactions. I mean, we all did, but I think you particularly had a strong one. You, do you want to talk more about that? You know, I don't even know how much more there is to say. I think, um, you know, we're all just super tired, both desensitized and super sen- sensitized to what's happening, you know, what happened with Kavanaugh. And, um, you know, despite all of it, I mean, I think it was glad to I was I was super glad to be in that group you know, there at Union Square, you know, it wasn't a huge turnout, but it wasn't a small turnout either. And, you know, one thing I've noticed is that, you know, there is something to, there's a good feeling that comes out of being in a crowd of people who are feeling the same thing that you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you, do you guys feel this way too, when you go to protest? I, this is the, I'm not a much of a protest guy, but oh, this yeah. is the second protest I've been to in the Trump era. One was right after the election. And, uh, yeah, there. I ha- I will admit that there is something therapeutic to shouting. Totally, <laughs> you know, with the women's march, shouting expletives. Yeah, I mean that was super therapeutic. Uh huh. Um, yeah. you know, it's just it's nice to know that people care. You know, when people show up, that means they care. Uh, this morning I actually went to a a walk in Central Park um, that was sponsored by the American Cancer Society. Um, it's a walk for breast cancer. And uh, same deal, you know, there was, a, there were, I mean, in this case, it's actually a much bigger gathering. There were hundreds and hundreds of people there. Uh, but it was really, you know, heartwarming and inspiring to see all these people, you know, in Central Park at eight in the morning, um, getting ready to do this thing because, you know, they were survivors or they had family who were survivors. It may be glad to live in a place like New York where such a thing is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, New- yeah, New York is great for that. I've tweeted about this before, but I, I also thought it was so fitting that on the same day as Kavanaugh, as that protest and the day that Kavanaugh got confirmed, uh, there was that BTS concert at City Field in which pretty much like the nation's youth uh, was there uh, being, you know, then the message was all about love yourself, peace, harmony, etc. So as like a, as an Asian and a Korean, that, that made me proud that there was such a stark contrast. <laughs> and shout out to, shout out to Sam, who was on a, who was on the podcast a couple episodes back, who showed up to the protest at Union Square and then took the train over to City Field to make it to the BTS mm-hmm. concert. Yeah. Super cool. <laughs> <laughs> so as a teen, you've been, you've been on kind of a, a Twitter war recently with, uh, one Jeff Yang. You want to talk more uh, about that? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just I've 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 had you know I used to not mind Jeff Yang. I, I actually think that he used to he used to put these um he used to put these things together these sort of panels and stuff in uh, about Asian American issues and uh, I never attended one but I, I know a lot of people that were on the panels and uh, you know I've I've watched them on YouTube and I always thought they were really good but lately. It's just taken a turn for the worse. And I think uh, this, uh, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Jeffing on this one because I know we want to talk about this, uh, this movie, The Hate You Give, which is infinitely more interesting. Um, but uh, <laughs> I just want to say one thing. I just want to say one thing about a, a particular tweet. Philip, who's, uh, who's uh, part of Plan A and, a, and, a, and uh, on many podcasts himself. He had, uh, he had been retweeted by Jeff Yang um, being accused of being a race purist. And I want to say Jeff Yang is the race purist. He is the race purist. And I just want to go through it real quickly. Uh, this yeah. is all kicked off by that, uh, by that Celeste Yang article uh, in the cut about uh, toxic Asian masculinity, which, by the way, I thought wasn't a bad article. I, I actually thought it wasn't a bad article. Uh, and it was worth reading. It was, it was worth having published and it's worth people responding to. Uh, but, uh, one of the, one of the things that, uh, Jeff Yang had tweeted out was about, um, how, you know, the, the, this idea that Asian American men and Asian American women are at cross purposes to each other is inane. And he retweeted, uh, uh, he, he said basically, this is, this is a ridiculous concern because there is essentially an infinite amount of Asians. He called it an essentially infinite resource. Uh, and that uh, he completely misread Philip's uh, tweet, which had nothing to do with uh, intermarriage or race mixing. He interpreted it as such and said, look, there's an essentially infinite source of 3 billion Asians in Asia. So the fear that intermarriage will lead to, quote, racial erasure is inane. And I think that that is completely revealing of what Jeff Yang's conception of the problem is. Jeff Yang's essentially saying, look, we should tolerate race mixing between Asians and white people because there's 3 billion Asians. We'll always make more Asians. That is a complete race purist. That's, that's the argument of a secure race purist. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, it also kind of feeds into the idea that, you know, there are so many Asians. There are just so many Asians. What are we going to do with them? It feeds it, but, but not only that, but it feeds into this idea that that makes him feel safe. Because there's, there's always going to be more pure Asians. Right. So don't worry about what's going on over here. For, first yeah, of all, no one's worried. That's not what Philip is saying. Like, he, it, this was not at all about race mixing. This was about the fact that, you know, there, there are conflicts. There, we see things differently and we have disputes. Mm-hmm. It's not about having kids together. Uh, he took it that way and said, don't worry, there's three billion more where that came from. That is a yeah, really troubling that. tweet. Yeah. Jeff Yang has his, he is, uh, this will be mean, but he's mistaking his growing forehead for the fact that his uh, brain is growing. He's completely, <laughs> he's completely missing the point. So, Jeff Yang, you need to educate yourself, man. Also, anyway. he, uh, I think he also tried to do this, pull the same shit with Mark. I think he's just going around uh, looking for perceived easy targets. Uh, yeah. These are, uh, and, and, you know, he pulled the same shit with Mark, uh, which was mm-hmm. also fucked up. But, um... That whole mentality reminds me of the the famous John Maynard Keynes quote. You know, in the long run, we're all dead. Mm-hmm. We're not. We're not thinking about some hundred year. Uh, you know, which race will be most numerous on Earth? Kind of. No, we're talking about the here and now. And 
and and for him to have this weird, as you said, race purity um, mentality, like, oh, don't don't worry, guys. Like, uh, there's so many Asians, we'll just breed them out. I was like, whoa, 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 Jeff Yang, nobody's talking about that. You're the one yeah. talking about mm. that. It's insane. <laughs> and, you know, I think people like his tweets without even thinking about it. Here, let me just read it. If you can't read, Philip, my point was that Asian America is self-supplementing as a population due to constant immigration from an essentially infinite source. So the fear that intermarriage will lead to, quote, racial erasure is inane. Think about that. I just think about that tweet. Don't worry. Like the, the Asian xenomorph queen is pumping out eggs at a very high rate. We're not, we're not going <laughs> <It's> anywhere. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so bad. So bad, Jeff. Terrible. Escape from plan A. And when I say stuff like, I mean that shit. Because these white folks see us and stuff. I don't care what y'all think. I don't care if you think you a lawyer, if you a man, if you an African-American, if you whatever fuck you think you are. We thumb the niggas to these motherfuckers. Uh, you know, and until we own some shit, I'm going to call it like it is. How you going to be a man and we start? Go ahead. You know, and we have you looking up by five different houses ain't a man in either one of them motherfuckers. Go How we going to be a man? How we going to be African-Americans? Hey, we out here today. Hi, uh, welcome listeners to this latest episode of Escape from Plan A. As I said, today I have with me Millie and Teen. And this episode will just be us talking about the movie The Hate You Give, which I think is being released widely this week. We saw it uh, last week because it was in limited release in cities like New York City and we got to see it. Um, along with our friend from Champagne Shocks, Trevor Bolio. Hey, what's up, Trevor? Hey, Trevor. And we had some very strong, <laughs> we had some very strong reactions to it. And, um, I mean, this episode, I mean, the last few episodes, it's been kind of heavy and serious talking about like Kavanaugh, immigrant time warp. But I think this episode is us returning to form, doing what we do best, being a good old fashioned hate fest. <laughs> <laughs> Hate that watching is, is what we let's, do, let's, right, Oxford? Can, <laughs> let's give let's give let's let's give a little like uh, mise en scene to this because the three of us, um, along with uh, Mark uh, and Trevor, went to go see the movie together uh, last. Was it last week? Yeah, uh, last weekend, I think. And then um, we kind of ended up at Joe uh, Joe Junior nearby. It's pretty. It's pretty uh, nice little spoon. diner place on like yeah, 16th. I love that place. Yeah, and, totally uh, no frills. Street, but check it out. It's near Union Square. Open late. Yeah, I had my. Uh, I Millie, you had a you had you had the burger there. I got the uh, can of salmon salad, I which did. is my go to. And any I could tell that everyone was diner. jealous too. You know, you guys were all kind of looking. <laughs> yeah, over like, actually, damn, I should have gotten a burger. There's a great photo of you just chowing down on it and uh it's it's my desktop maybe, wallpaper now maybe it, we should include what can that i say in the i was hungry and emotional after watching the movie <laughs> and we had a great conversation with trevor and i think this was, we, we we were like hey we should we should actually just talk about this movie on a podcast because i i had a lot i had a lot of fun watching it yeah. i think first things first i said it was a hate fest but let's uh let's acknowledge that this is a very well-made film yeah very well acted i can't think of a single weak performance um amanda Samberg, is just was amazing stellar was amazing i'm finally happy she has like a good movie i feel like she's been in a lot of movies a lot of them have been yeah. bad but i feel like this is the first one in which she really shines how old the, is she by so the way? to speak i don't know her character I being say maybe star. 18 at oldest she's still i think a teenager oh wow, okay she's so talented uh, yeah yeah and all the supporting actors were also uh phenomenal well directed i hope everyone involved goes on to do uh better things and of course, our criticism of this movie has nothing to do with any... Uh, we 
are very supportive of cutting down on your know, police brutality. Fuck that shit. Uh, this is not to like be uh, apologetic about that. Uh, but let's, right, let's, and uh, I also jump. want to say that I just love the movie. Um, I actually went to go see it a second time because oh shit, I'm a fucking nerd. Um, but you know, I just found it to be so emotionally effective. Um, you know, on so many different levels, and uh, really appreciated it from a craft standpoint. So yeah, also there's repeating there. that. Millie is an actual filmmaker, has gone to film school, so uh, she is uh, the more she has more authority on this than than we do. At well, least from like a craftsmanship point of view. Yeah, that's kind, but you know, genuinely, I, <laughs> I love the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's. Uh, the thing I struck me about the movie is we all walked out of the movie and we all looked at each other, and we were like, "Was it just me? Or was that was that ending really fucked up?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And to yeah. um, sum it all up, I mean, the problem I had with the ending was that, okay, so the police get away with it. Obviously, I think if you had the, uh, you know, police get prosecuted, it'd be very unrealistic. So, so the Wait, movie. Do you want to do you want to give a background on the on the movie just in case people haven't actually watched it? Okay, just so sort of, this yeah. was uh, the Hate You Give was a very popular young adult novel based. Uh, on I think mainly on the Ferguson uh, shooting, but it, it kind of encompasses the general uh, narrative of of police uh, murders of uh, you know young black men and women. And the, the story is it, the main character is this girl named Star, and she is this she's this girl who goes to this very uh, you know elite preppy white dominant private school, but she actually lives in what you might call you know the ghetto. It's never specified which place it is, but I think it's supposed to be like Missouri. Um, but they don't they don't nail it down, at least in the movie. Right. In the and film it's called her, Garden Heights. Yeah. And then her childhood friend Khalil gets killed in a in a uh, like a police pullover. And from then on she is burdened because she's the only eyewitness to the event. And he was he was killed uh for uh I mean in the movie he takes out uh, he tries to reaching for a hairbrush and he's killed. And oh, I've had to, I've had the book for a while. I wish I'd read it, but I think in the book he doesn't do that. Uh, from a few things I've read, he doesn't do that in the book. But in the movie, um, he reaches definitely in the movie. He reaches for a hairbrush. The police officer mistakes that for him reaching for a weapon, kills him, and then from then on, it's her wondering if she should come forward. Complicated by the fact that Khalil was involved in some like drug gang, and if she were to come forward, it would implicate the drug lord named King in the neighborhood, and King is threatening her to stay quiet. Am I missing anything? Yeah, people feel... Right, you know, on top uh, of that, um, you know, there's sort of, like, one of the bigger conflicts I saw in the movie was, uh, you know, the life she lives at home versus the life she lives at school, Uh, which was something I I actually, you know, could personally relate to very strongly. Um, I think most second-generation people can as well. You're one person at Mm -hmm. home, you're one person everywhere else. Um, but in this case, uh, in Star's case, you know, it was even worse because her everywhere else was this prep school, uh, what was it called, Williamson, um, you know, yes. which was mostly white and uh, where most of her friends, you know, had no idea of what was happening back in Garden Heights and couldn't appreciate, you know, the gravity of it by any means. Yeah. Anyway, going back to uh, the problem that a lot of us had with the ending was that, so the ending has the police getting off pretty much scot-free, which is to be expected, and I think is is a good, a realistic conclusion to that. I think if they had him be prosecuted, it would it would be a little too 
you know, the Pollyanna. The, the, the pre- the, yeah, the premise was entirely consistent with what's actually going on in America. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, yep. the cop was unjustified. There, you know, the, the only thing that was missing was there's no video of the incident. But um, the, you know, probably most of these incidents obviously don't, are not videotaped, uh, or at least they weren't before. And, um, you know, the, the, the public's, um, you know, the sort of, uh, difficulty in prosecuting this, this, uh, police officer and the sort of apology, the apologia around it, the protectionism of the, of the police officer saying, oh, it's a very dangerous job, you know, this, this stuff. Very real. It was all done very, uh, very accurately, I felt. Mm-hmm. So that's not our issue. Our issue was that from then, that's not where the movie ends. The, the, I guess the the way the plot is wrapped up in the movie is that the police arrest King, who is played by Anthony Mackie, whom I think most people know as uh, Falcon from the Marvel movies. I, I don't watch those movies, so I, I may get his name wrong a bit, but I think he's Falcon from like Captain yeah. America. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, so he plays the evil drug lord, and the movie wraps up neatly with him getting arrested by the very same police force that has just gotten away with killing Khalil. And he's being led slow motion out of his home, and it's supposed to be like a, a heroic like denouement to the to the story. And this is the most disturbing part I thought was in the voiceover, Star says like, oh, and we all learned that we we basically they had to start snitching. That was the solution to stopping the police brutality. They had to rat out the kings of their neighborhood, which would then um, I guess alleviate the anxiety that a lot of the the police officers felt whenever they had to stop someone like Khalil. And that anxiety is expounded by Common, who I think outside of, of this movie has a ton of credibility because, you know, Common is known as like a very socially conscious rapper. And he is he plays a black police officer in the movie. And he a lot of his lines are trying to. Who's uh, related and, to the family. Yeah. And, and right, he's the mom's to, brother. So he's Star's uncle. And he's empathizing with what the police officers have to go through whenever they pull over like a young black man. So I saw that. I will say, like, if the movie had ended with just, like, maybe, like, 10 minutes before all that happened, I would have said, okay, there's, like, a few things I might have issues with. But overall, fine movie. Got no problems. But that ending, my God, fuck. <laughs> wow, you know. Yeah, I, I, I would say um, that one... The thing that... The thing that I want to, I want people to understand is like the, my interest in movies like The Hate You Give, it has nothing to do with like Asian Americans. Um, but I just think it just gives a really, it, 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 to watch this movie critically is to get a better understanding of how race in America works. And exactly. Sure. Way, yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's really important, I think, for Asian Americans to go out and not, you know, find relevance in movies like The Hate You Give because mm-hmm. it it's it's really the only way to understand what's actually happening. And to be, I think, to be critical of, to watch movies like this critically, which is, a, it's a, you know, it's got, it's certified fresh. It's probably like 90 plus percent f- fresh and- At uh, least 95%. Oh shit, it went up. Okay, so this movie basically is is representative of the the current state of race awareness in America, right? This is this is a quote woke movie, and I think the most damning thing that I could possibly say about this movie, which which should put all debate to rest, is that the National Review gave it a glowing review. 
That's Bingo. All you gotta. That's all you have to really know is that the National Review loved this movie, and it's. I forgot the name of of whoever was um, reviewing it, but he basically said that this movie finally uh, admits that you know it's it's black culture itself and the black community itself that needs to cons- reconsider you know its approach and and the and where problems stem from. They stem from within. Whoa! Did they really say that? Yeah, mm-hmm. they did. And, and you know, that person was right. That is what this movie is saying. Uh, exactly for what Oxford said is because, I mean, at the end of the day, the cop that, you know, did the shooting, no justice is, is had. And they pretty much give up on it. Like, in real life, people are still pushing for charges. People are still pushing for indictments. People are still pushing for convictions. That's what they want. This movie is like, well, we're just going to give up. We're going to put our hands up. And just realize that justice can't be had that way. These cops are simply beyond above the law, and we better just accept that. Which is a theme that goes throughout this movie. And they actually say, they actually point to Black Panther, uh, the uh, Black Panther um, concepts that being submissive to the police is the way to go. And what we really need to go- do is root out the true evil, which is you know, black drug dealers in a, in a gang that we, they made the name up. What was it? The, I forgot the name of the gang, but it's a oh, the King Lords, King Lords, King Lord, something completely fabricated, which suggests that they're operating on stereotype thinking when you're able to manufacture something that's both fictional and clearly representative of something in real life, like the Crips or the Bloods. Yeah. In our Joe Jr. conversation, we were racking our brains. Like when has the guilt of gangs really come up? In any of the most high-profile shootings, I'm talking never. about the Tamir Rice's or yeah. you know the Eric Garner's, um, it's Trayvon never Martin, um, etc. It, Philando only, Castile, none. Yeah, it, it's only maybe brought up vaguely of like black on black violence, but it, I don't think any of those people were ever implicated in a gang. Like not yeah. even the most so white apologist <laughs> pro you know blue yeah. lives matter piece of shit yeah. ever made that argument. But the movie advances that argument for them. It does all yeah, the work just, for them. And just, just to be clear, Khalil, who's killed in the movie, is 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 a drug is a sort of lower level drug dealer for King, and uh, for Anthony Mackie. And uh, there's a scene where you know King tells uh, 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 Amanda St- Sten- what's her name again in the movie Star. Um, Star. He gets Star in the car, and I think we all expected him to be like, all right, you know. We have our differences, but you need to do the right thing and tell the world what happened. But instead, he's like trying to suppress her. So again, it's like someone within the black community that's actively trying to protect the cop. Is it's like you know it, the the problems the the obstruction to justice is also within the black community. Yeah, that part really confused me because when uh, you know King. Uh, you know, menacingly pulls up to her and like tells her to get in the car. I thought he was going to tell her, no, you're going to tell the police exactly what happened, right? Because, you know, fuck the police. I want them to go down. But he's all like, no, no, don't don't say anything because then I'm going to get implicated. Yet nowhere, not once in the movie is it shown that he is ever under threat because she uh, links Khalil with his gang. In fact, the whole reason why he gets arrested at the end is because he tries to kill her by burning her while she's in her father's grocery store. So if he just left her alone, in the logic of the movie, he would have gotten gotten off scot-free. He just put himself in the path of trouble, it seems like, for a plot service. That's what it seemed like. Mm -hmm. 
I feel that there was King. I mean, it was King and, and also like his his um his just crew like of other drug dealers and and some and 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 their and their and the women who who follow them. And actually, Star's father, who's seen as sort of a reformed king uh, king lord, right? He yeah, he, he used, used to be his right hand man. Yeah, and I think that <clears throat> there was a clear. There was a there was a clear intention there, I think, for for King the uh, King and his crew to represent black toxic masculinity. That's how I felt of it, and that um, the, the the real hero in the in the movie was uh, Star's father, who I think is played very well by Russell Hornsby. Totally, uh, Maverick. He's right? so good. He he's excellent, and that's the weird thing about this movie. It's like even though like I, I have a criticism about. Uh, the way that they use these uh, uh, someone like uh, Maverick, it's it's just played so well. I thought he was so awesome in it. But I do think that, for example, um, you this is something that we see with Asians, right? There's this there's this um, push to sort of set up this concept of Asian toxic masculinity. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I'm saying that you portray it, but then you attach a lot of problems on, as originating from. This toxic masculinity, and then you give an example um, and and lionize the example of someone who used to be that, but was reformed. And I think it's really hard to counteract this because are there black drug dealers? Yes. Are there uh, misogynist Asian uh, proud boys? Yes, there are. Uh, and it's it's so easy to 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 vilify them because they're they are villains. Uh, but then to over over. Uh, state the claim uh, of the harm that they do and that it's all coming from them and it can't possibly be coming from something else like say uh white cops who murder black people right that it 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 was just not it was that was just seen as a mistake right but the real problem is you know the drug dealers Uh, and that's why national review gave it a glowing review did you all read that wesley morris article in the i think it was the new york times right yeah I Millie, did. did you yeah. did you read that or do Rings you know a bell. about it? Remind me. So it's this article that uh, Wesley Morris wrote. He's this. Oh, very, was it about uh, insecure? Yeah, yeah, that one. Did you read it? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, and that just I think that's relevant to this because I'm wondering. The reason I wanted to do this podcast is I wanted Escape from Plan A to be on the record saying this movie has a ton of problems, and I do think this in like a few years will be that like the crash of our times in which it's praised highly when it comes out. But when you take, when you just let a little time pass by and you look at it a little bit more critically, you'd be like, wow, that, that, that had a lot of fucked up stuff in it. Um, and I mean, Wesley Morris, the whole thing in his article is that there are certain things, especially in um, kind of the white liberal media sphere, which a lot of people are not allowed to address and he focuses on insecure because i i think he doesn't particularly like that show but but he can't quite say it because it's more than just a show it represents so many other things well i guess one thing that came to mind while you guys were talking just now you know i completely see all of your points you know but is that um the movie was based on source material that was written by an african-american woman um so I, and I also feel like the movie really resonates within the black community as well as, you know, other POC communities. So I'm just trying to reconcile that, you know. Um, there must be, there, there are, I think, many things within the point of view of the movie that are valid 
to them and to us. I felt that way too, because when I watched the movie, it was, I, I, I felt like I was open-minded to where it was going. I felt like the movie up until the very ending could have gone in a, in a, cause it was such a good movie that it could have gone the right way. Uh, but the ending to me is really what killed it. And my main critique is the ending because like all things, once you see that ending, it colors the entire movie that, that led up to it because you see what the movie was really trying to set up and the reasons that they had certain elements in it. Um, right. For example, like why did he reach for a hairbrush in the movie? Assuming he didn't do it in the book. Like why does he do it in the movie? And I think the reason is because they want to make the cop look like a nervous rookie. That's why he did it. He was, he's nervous. And you know what? It's, if you go back, if you look at the ending and the way in which it, it pins the blame on the black community and the, and the drug dealers in it, that what, what the movie, the reason the hairbrush suddenly becomes retroactively significant is that it's setting up a general view of what's happening out there to say the reason that the cops are so on edge is because you guys really are dangerous drug dealers among, there are dangerous drug dealers among you and you're making us, the cops, be this apprehensive when we're around you. And, you know, Khalil was a drug dealer and he, and he was part of King's gang and they are dangerous and these young cops are in danger and they even have common sort of make the case to star. Uh, which is a little bit open-ended. I did. I thought they did a good job of keeping that open-ended. But yeah, I love that. That's scene. the narrative that they're pushing. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, that was a good scene. But see, if they left it open-ended and say maybe Common is mistaken, right? And and Star's objection, full-throated objection to that, um, was sort of um, uh, validated in the end. Would be one thing. But the ending completely validates Common's perception of it. Mm -hmm. which is that, you know, once we get the drug dealers out of here, then we're all, it, then life will turn into a Lowe's commercial and we're just going to, you know, <laughs> get together. <laughs> and plant roses. You know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know. It was, it was a very Hollywoody ending, you know, just sort of wrapping everything up and tying it with a nice little bow. Um, you know, I guess, I mean, I think that the filmmakers made a lot of choices that made the movie accessible, um, which, I think in some cases is problematic for sure. Uh, but I'm not sure that I'm totally mad at that just because if the fact that the movie is accessible helps people get out and see it, you know, like the 97% of white critics who love the movie um, and make people more aware of the issues, then I think that's a good thing. You know, in, in a weird kind of way, it's, it's subversive, right? Because it, um, it, it, it draws you in emotionally and, um, you know, it draw, I, I think the hope is that, you know, an audience who might not be fully aware of the issues from an emotional standpoint, because they've never gone through it, they've never gone through it. They don't know, you know, they don't have friends and family who've been through it. Um, it hasn't affected them. Uh, I lost track of my sentence, but you, you see what I'm getting well, at. Like, you know, if it makes people, if it, if it makes people more aware of the issues because of how emotionally, you know, resonant it is. Um, you know, and it's, um, you know, not, if it's palatable enough for a general audience, I think that's probably ultimately a good thing for now. That may be all oh. that we can, that, you know, most of, you know, America can take for now. We, I, we I agree to, with you. And I think, you know, ease ourselves into the idea that we are total assholes. 
No, I, I think I think I completely agree, and I think that that goes towards what Oxford was saying about this movie aging poorly, the way Crash did, which is yes, totally. I think that you're right. It, it will bring people out. It will. It is a good movie. It's worth watching. It's worth thinking about, and I think it's it's almost useful in a way because it's going to open itself up to valid critiques. It, it's going to be useful as something where it's like we thought this was a great movie that said something really insightful. But it turns out it it, it said something really uh, quite racist um, in its own way. And it's not so easy to see how that is right now. Because I think right now there's just so much emotion invested into the issue mm-hmm. that I think we're overlooking uh, you know, any movie that's willing to come out and talk about the reality. And the way that it portrayed the killing, it was so stark and brutal. You know, it didn't yeah, pull any absolutely. punches with respect to how awful this was. You know, right? it's and like how unjust it was. Every single time, literally, every time you you know you felt like you could relax because you know the characters were safe, something absolutely horrible would happen, and it would just you know jar you and scar you. Um, and uh, I was also thinking that you know that do you, do you guys remember that scene at like sort of towards the end of the movie where uh, Star and her like evil white friend sort of confront each other outside of the school. And yeah. uh, Star, like, grabs her hairbrush and sort of pretends to threaten her friend with it. Yes. You know, she says, like, this is what it's like. This is what it's like. You know, to me, yeah. that scene was very much a microcosm of the whole movie. You know? America. This yeah. is what it's like. Yeah. This is what it's like. Fucking wake up and pay attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, if I were, like, the director or final cut editor or whatever, I think the way I would have really made this movie, I think, stand the test of time is first cut it with at the protest because like the the real emotional climax of the movie is when star attends the protest after the police officer is acquitted and she like gets up on a car and she like has a bullhorn says like i am the you know the eyewitness and you know you know khalil lived uh, khalil lives and that's a very um like powerful moment uh and i and then she um, th- uh, there was this Ferguson protester named Edward Crawford who uh, famously picked up this, I think it was a, a tear gas grenade and just like throws it back at the police. And Star does that too. And I thought, end the movie like around there and you you would have such a powerful, open-ended, complicated, difficult ending. It was just like, okay, like where do we go from here? And it's a challenge to the audience. And the other... Um, other change I would make is so star uh Millie, you brought this up right before, but a star has uh one of her best friends is this like ex- I, I seriously think they uh made a casting call like the palest blondest girl possible in America, please come <laughs> out to this, <laughs> so she plays her yeah. best friend, and um I mean she's all nice at the beginning, but as as time goes on, it turns out she's like you know one of these like blue lives matter monsters um and I think it would have been much more consequential if it if it wasn't that friend, in fact, turned out to be her white boyfriend, uh, who is woke uh, bay portrait. <laughs> w- you know, woke bay. Hashtag he is woke bay. So <laughs> there so, is oh a God. there is a goddamn epidemic of white woke bays going around. What is going <laughs> he on with is the white so woke bay? Impossibly understanding, perfect, um, etc. But I think it would have been it would have been such a like a heart-wrenching um, dilemma if it turned out the guy she liked 
was the very guy who was like, you know what, you know, the police, you know, they, they you know, you gotta see it from their point of view, you know. Uh, whereas this friend, who's who's basically dispensable, there's really no weight she carries in the in the in the as a character in the movie. Um, those are the two things I would have changed, and I think if if it were like that, I would have said, you know what, this is actually an excellent movie. It has like little you know, niggles and and you know triggles wherever, but um, I think it would have been extremely good. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think those two characters could have possibly been combined, maybe. Um, you know, as it stands, they were sort of like a count, a, a point and a counterpoint. I thought. Uh, in general, the movie was very fair and balanced, you know, like almost in a mechanical kind of way, um, which was kind of interesting. But yeah, you know, they they were both sort of similar. You know, there were also a lot of, uh, there was a lot about Woke Bay that I just didn't buy, you know, <laughs> like what in the, what was he doing at that protest? I don't believe for a second that that, pro, that, that prep school kid you know, would be at that protest for, you know, longer than 30 seconds. Like, oh, this seems dangerous. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> yeah, there's so much, so much to, to say about him. First of all, apparently in the book, uh, he gets bonus points because uh, Star is, is a huge fan of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which, you know, is normal. We all love, who doesn't hate Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? But who, who doesn't love? I, I love, everyone loves it. Yeah. So who, uh, who, who, who didn't grow up with friends doing the Carlton dance? Exactly. Um, especially nowadays with the whole 90s nostalgia thing kicking in like 200%. But Star, uh, so the boyfriend's name is Chris. Star realizes Chris is like woke because he likes uh, first Aunt Vivian more than second Aunt Vivian. Now, find me, I, I challenge you, find me one person who, who prefers second Aunt Vivian to first Aunt Vivian. There is nobody <laughs> on this God-made earth who prefers second of Aunt Viv to first Aunt Viv. So if that's the bar for being a woke bait, that is so stupendously low that it, it is almost laugh. It is laughable. There, and there's then, a there's there's a there's a racial aspect to that that I, we we don't need to talk about it in this pod, but I think people should look it up uh, about the first versus second Aunt Viv controversy. Yeah, it was it was like uh, basically it was like yeah. dark skinned Aunt Viv was like too loud and and like demanded too much attention, so they got like quieter, lighter skinned Aunt Viv. Yeah, that's like the gist of it all. Second Aunt Viv was much more of a of a of a you know Hillary Clinton type. Um, <laughs> You know, wife of a wife of a superior court judge type. Oh, uh, secondly, uh, apparently, at, in the book, in the in the protest, Chris, uh, our woke bay, realizes while he's re- he knows all, first of all he knows all the lyrics to "Fuck the Police" by N.W.A. Great song, by the way. But <laughs> then he also has the he also has the self awareness to not say the N word while he's rapping it in no, the middle right. of a protest. <laughs> <Just> stupid. <laughs> you know, I mean, the other thing that gets me a little bit about Chris is that I sort of wondered if there needed to be a love story at all. Um, there did. Y- y- see, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, yes, I, I know what you're saying, teen, but like, uh, this is a question I ask frequently when I watch movies now, you know, especially anything that might appeal to, you know, teenagers or um, younger kids. You know, the idea that I'm very sensitive to the idea that, you know, a movie must include, you know, that a movie with a female, you know, protagonist must include a love interest who's a man. Um, you know, it just sort of sets up the idea that, you know, we're not we're not really complete unless we're in a relationship. And that kind of bugs me. So I think that's another reason that, you know, we could have probably cut Woke Bay entirely. <laughs> 
No, I, I think Teen, you're, you're going to say this too, but uh, uh, I want to hear what your thoughts on this. I think it's extremely necessary for this story because, I mean, this was, this was something that Trevor said, but this is very much following the formula of a typical superhero slash YA novel in which like the chosen hero um, follows like, like, like there's like the, it's, it's like this 12 step program for for you know uh, heroes in waiting that's uh derived from the whole joseph campbell uh you know hero with a thousand faces model but to me th- what what this story said was like racial consciousness activism it's really really difficult like if you look uh you know that guy i mentioned edward crawford the guy who actually threw back the tear gas grenade in the ferguson protest he was probably assassinated died anonymous nobody remembers him anymore same thing with like a darren seals like shot burned in his car nobody remembers him anymore the actual life of like like a racial revolutionary is difficult solitary most people will probably hate you in your lifetime etc so what these stories now you're probably hated right now exactly Uh, um so what these stories seem to be trying to reconcile is this i want to be outspoken i want to be racially conscious yet on the other hand i don't want to give up the advantages of ignoring all that so how do i reconcile it and that's why i think the the woke bay particularly the white woke bay is very necessary because it reconciles um this like radicalism with a very traditional ya slash teen soap opera whatever model and saying you can have it all you can have it all just because you are woke does not mean you're condemned to a miserable life in which you will die Die shot in a burned up car (laughs) right (laughs) Well, and I agree with both of you. Millie, I would agree agree that the movie would have been better if they didn't have a love story in it. Yeah, you know, she's the chosen one. The chosen one's busy. You know, she's she's dealing with more important things than a boy. Exactly. But I also, I agree with Oxford also (laughs) in that the the movie wasn't trying to, the movie was trying to do something specific. I don't think it was just throwing it in there uh, because, um, you know, they looked at the storyboard and thought, oh, it might be more interesting if there was a boyfriend in it. Um, the, 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 the story that they're telling is very specific. It's very important that he's um, white and clueless and comes from the <laughs> other side of the tracks. And the, I think that this movie is showing that um, bl- I think the black conversation about race actually is heading towards us uh, Asian Americans meaning mm-hmm. that they're dealing with this is a, a story about assimilation I mean it's posing as a story about revolution and and uh, posing as a story about um, you know fighting uh, fighting white supremacy uh, and fighting state authority but it's actually a story about assimilation and it's a story and I think it's really yeah. summed up in the part where star says, you know, I'm when I'm in Garden Heights, I'm not black enough, and when I'm at Williamson, I'm not white enough. All right, slang and, makes or them maybe cool. Just, slang makes me hood. Exactly. You know, and those kinds of problems, like, are assimilationist problems. Those are the problems that Absolutely. Asian Americans have long been dealing with, and it really caught my attention because I was like watching this, and and as Star saying that. I'm like, yes, this, this movie is extremely relevant to the exact same kind of assimilation questions that Asians have. And there was a scene yeah, yeah. where she's totally in the agree. limo at, yeah, there's a scene where she's in the limo with, uh, Woke Bay. And, um, <laughs> you know, he's start, he's starting to say all this, like, uh, white, this white liberal nonsense like about all how lives he, matter bullshit. Yeah. 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 yeah like, right. I just don't see race. I just don't see race. I see you. And she's like, <laughs> if you don't see my blackness, you don't see me. Like, 
it was a really nice, you know, her response to him was really good, right? But then what do they do? They're like, ah, fuck it, <laughs> right? And then it, they just drop it, right? They just drop the whole thing. And then I think it ends later with, with her saying, in fact, he does see me. And I, I feel like it's pushing a pro-assimilationist. I don't want to say, that's a bad, not pro-assimilationist, but what it's saying is that, you know, the, the good outcome here is for Star to both have her racial identity intact and be fully assimilated into, you know, a white elite circle like Williamson. And it's suggesting that the reason that that can't be done is because of elements of, you know, retrograde black toxic masculinity, which is why her true love, Khalil, could not follow her into that world. And she had to basically leave him behind and go on her own. That's that's kind of where I felt the story was coming in. Yeah, there's this very crucial scene at the uh, climactic protest in which she, uh, her brother, uh, I think Seven, is, is hurt because he was just beaten up by King. And uh, a woke bay, a Chris, is saying, I want to go with you. And she says... Like if you want to help me, you will, um, you know, escort uh, seven and and I, I, I like I think there were some young children there yeah, back to their home. Was, That's uh, the best thing. Her friend and um, the young child's, but anyway, yeah, go on. Yeah, so like that's that's the role that's best suited for you, and he acquiesces to it, and that is seen as the triumph in which, uh, I guess the she with it within the system basically kind of like tames woke bay. Uh, he turns this potential all lives matter or blue lives matter fuckface into somebody <laughs> who completely is willing to play second banana to her, which which I think ha- you know on some points has its merits, but also has a lot of problematic. Uh, oh, I hate that fucking word. <laughs> Can't believe it slipped out of my mouth. But it does have some troubling implications because it it really falls into this whole like Sheryl Sandberg lean in type of uh, feminism in which. The, the way to succeed is to pretty much um, fully invest yourself in the system, but, you know, like subvert a few elements here and there without actually questioning the, the whole thing. I look at this movie and I feel that it's asking a very honest question, which is how can um, a young black woman assimilate into a white society that's so clearly... Not just race, not so much racist as it is ignorant and holding on to, you know, um, uh, false assumptions about race. Mm -hmm. And how, what then would justify her wanting to assimilate into this group? And and I felt like it was very honest about that question because it did make the case that the, at least the white girls in this uh, group were, you know, quite, um, all lives matter types right mm-hmm. and they they looked at her blackness as a sort of curiosity and they 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 um uh exotified her in that sense they othered her so why would she want to be part of this group and i felt like it was a very honest exploration of that and it offered an answer my problem is that it, the only way to justify that is to say that the black men are even worse so your 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 woke bay could be um himself a little bland and ignorant and maybe a little bit supportive or of um you know a racist of 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 a racist white elite but they're just ignorant the black guys that she's running away from and that her father had staked his life on protecting her from is the real evil so i would definitely take the ignorant white and try to educate them 
but the 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 evil black guys they got to go to prison and i feel like that's the only way to end up at the conclusion that this movie did which is that yes it's worth assimilating into even though you f- you yourself find it racist and fucked up you need to go there and change their minds because the alternative is black drug dealers that's going to be your life your your life will just you'll you'll just end up like Khalil yeah that makes sense i mean although i don't think that's the only point that the movie makes about black men you know because the father character is great um you know, pretty no, much but the father the character is, is staked. But the, what I'm saying is, the father character, state, her father staked his entire existence on telling her her daughter run away from uh, the king lords and you know go towards. We put you into this white private school because although it sucks there, which the parents fully acknowledge that those girls are racist, mm-hmm. they're like you could you could fix that if you're strong, but you cannot fix. These broken black men. The only thing that they, we can do with them is put them in jail. It's also worth noting that uh, in the backstory, she's lost her uh, best friend Natasha to uh, crossfire from the King Lord. So it's like she lost one uh, friend to the, the black drug dealers and she lost the other one to white police officers. So who's to say who's wrong? <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess. And that's my I guess that's my question is 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 do you th- I mean. Is there another way to justify that, or does it not need justification? I'm, tar- I'm, t- I'm talking about this idea that Star should stake her future with white private school elite kids, uh, rather and escape Garden Heights, so to speak. I, I guess, I guess it's like, well, I, the reason I ask is because I see the same thing happening um, in in some no small part uh, among Asians, mm-hmm. uh, which is that you know we we kind of justify our proximity to elite whiteness as sort of the only way because the the alternative to that is so much worse the alternative to that is you know um you know these old oriental ways of asian male patriarchy foot binding um foot binding <laughs> the the you know the unbelievable sexism of asian culture that is sort of brought over and preserved hermetically in these sealed households with locks on the on the inside um, right, and I and I and I feel that this movie has an element of that as well. And if we could draw that parallel, I think it's kind of interesting because it's such a satisfying answer to people uh, to say, as bad as white America can be, it's nowhere near as bad as these like uh, you know these these ethnic ghettos. Where it's just simply, you know, festering in, uh, you know, just, just the 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 enslavement of men and women to these to these old ways of thinking. The reason that you know we the the reason we can justify that is by saying that well, being Asian is even worse. And I think that's what this movie is kind of saying: is as bad as Williamson is, Garden Heights is even worse. Okay, uh, if we can move on to talk talking about other points i think the the centrality of harry potter was very uh obvious in this story and in the end i think teen you pointed this out where uh star is going through uh khalil's old room and it's it's all full of like tupac nwa uh notorious big posters but she, she looks into his like little lockbox or whatever and she finds the Harry Potter one, which he claimed he threw away, and it's seen as like the symbol of his innocence. 
And there is this hinting that, oh, if only he just stayed on the Harry Potter path, <laughs> maybe he wouldn't have gotten a shot, you know? Uh, maybe he would have, uh, you know. Um, so if you think of this as the superimposition of the typical YA tropes, um, elements uh, of a of a YA storyline uh, with like the skin of of these uh, police brutality protests. Yeah, the, the the Harry Potter thing seems very deliberate, trying to reach out to like a non-black audience. Hey, you can you can relate to this, and we're gonna try to uh, you know we're we're gonna try to accommodate you so that you don't feel too bad <laughs> uh, that uh, it's not entirely your fault. Maybe, you know, the Khalils of the world um, shouldn't reach for that hairbrush, etc. I think it all, I guess what I'm saying is like, it, 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 I agree. I, it all comes down to the fact that King isn't relevant right. in real life. Um, mm-hmm. He is a he is a manufactured mm-hmm. scapegoat in this movie. Uh, as Oxford pointed out, if we look at all of the big name, the, the, the most infamous cases of, you know, of, of police killing young black men. Uh, never was it a, an issue that this young man was a known gang member and, uh, you know, th- that the police were, were uh, more or less doing the best they can with a bad situation. You know, the, the, these cases all involve, I mean, look at Eric Garner. What was he doing? He was selling bootleg cigarettes yeah. at the back what's, of a truck. What's particularly galling is that they make it seem as if there's some epidemic of black people um, not snitching on the worst of their community which i doubt is actually a real problem like no that's never been the problem that's never been the problem the problem has always been that police don't respond to uh to to you know 911 calls and and other tips from the from uh people in the in in black neighborhoods the cops not only that but who are the actual people who are the most competent most disciplined and not ratting out their most fucked up members. It's the fucking police. It's yeah. not the black community. It's not. It's not the. It's not the mafia. I've mm-hmm. seen Goodfellas. I've seen The Sopranos. I know they're all rats. There's no <laughs> honor among thieves. It's the fucking police that is the most well trained in not ever telling what's really going on. And which, in, by the way, in the hate you give, the the cops are mostly represented by black cops. Like so, for there example, are common. Very I mean, there are white cops. Yeah. Yeah. But but, but mm, the ones right. that I thought it was actually I felt it was mostly white cops with yeah some but black the black cops. cops are the ones that actually matter in the movie one the one the only cop that has any significant screen time in terms of explaining himself is Common and Common offers a full throated defense of the cops' behavior and said there are things about life that are too complicated for you to know Star right the other is the one who uh, in um, uh, nearly killing uh, Star's father outside that uh, barbecue diner. Uh, you know, has him in a chokehold, has his knee in the small of his back, looks uh-huh. up and says, oh, we're being this. That's the witness. We got to get out of here. So, right. the, you know, it was very it was equivocating on this on the issue being of white cops. It, it really kind of said, well, when we give voice to the cops, they're going to be it's going to be through black men. That's I don't think that that was necessarily, um, you know, by accident. I, I think that was intentional if you ask me i would be surprised if that was i mean yeah no i think it was intentional i i I think you know part of the goal part of the goal of the movie was to be fair and balanced you know quote unquote right well well they're well their no their Uh, vision of fair and balance is always giving benefit a, a benefit of the doubt to white cops 
Th- that's my problem with it. It's like it wants to be fair mm-hmm. and balanced, but only right. in sort of taking what is clearly an issue of right and wrong and then making it even even handed by introducing false elements into it. Like, right. you know, no, it's, no, no. it's so messed right. up. Totally agree. Uh, yeah, there are, there are also other elements that we, we talked about. First of all, there was like no good uh, white female character, which I thought was a little stark because like like the the evil um uh, her best friend as i said the the almost impossibly pl- uh pale uh blonde girl is 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 a stand-in for like the whole uh blue lives matter crowd and then there's that whole thing where she is in the beginning where she is like making out with chris woke bay and then you see like the dirty looks um from yeah. the, the white <laughs> girls and she says something like it's always the white girls who give us dirty looks which you know i can sympathize from because like the writer of this book angie thomas is a black woman uh you know and and it it seems to have a very subjective black female uh perspective i can understand why there is this uh kind of like this anger uh at white women white girls and in converse kind of like a leniency towards white men i can see that why i can i can understand the emotional logic of that but i think it is something worth noting um and i I just want to throw this out there i know that the face of uh, whitewashing has become Scarlett Johansson for various reasons. And I don't particularly care about Scarlett Johansson. I like some of her movies. I, I'm a, I really like Lost in Translation, for example, but I don't really care about her. But I, I think she, it was just announced that she is going to be in her old Black Widow movie. And there's all this hate thrown against her. I am very suspicious of this kind of hatred against uh, Black female celebrities. I'm not Black female. Against female celebrities, though, because I was witness to all the irrational hatred that Anne Hathaway got. And I do think Scarlett Johansson is uh, partially a victim of this under the guise of like racial equality or whatever. And I can tell this because the the white men who are just as guilty, if not more guilty, like people like Matt Damon or Jared Leto, etc., who are not only whitewashing Asian male roles, but are in roles in which they often like kill Asian men. They're like taking Asian women as prizes, etc. These men seem to be given passes. So uh, let's recognize there is a certain conflict of interest when you're talking about um, people of color and opposite gender white people. And this is something that was recognized by Jamila Lemieux, who is uh, you know, kind of a controversial uh, black female Twitter uh, user. She, she basically acknowledges saying that uh, black men are blinded by their sexual attraction to white women, etc. So, you know, everybody knows this, oh, let's be honest. yeah, that tweet. I, uh, <laughs> that tweet was really good, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, very telling. That was a very telling uh, uh, tweet where she said that uh, black black women and white women are great allies with each other. Uh, it's, it's, it, everything's kind of orthogonal to each other. We said black women and white women can be great allies to one another because there's typically isn't sexual attraction that buffers or plasters over uh you know the the mutual the 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 potential for uh for prop for things being problematic meaning in, in other words meaning as a black woman i can tell when a white woman is a ra- is is closet racist from a mile away because i don't have this overriding sense of sexual attraction perhaps in the background sort of covering that up i thought that was a really very interesting tweet complicated but interesting i think what we're trying to say is women of color will give breaks to white men and men of color will give breaks to white women. And that is a fundamental truth that we should not be afraid to acknowledge, but often um, are afraid to talk about because, you know, people want to keep up appearances. Uh, they have their self-image to look after. But it's a basic truth. 
And Jamila pointed out, it's it's not just that it's men and women, right? It's that there's a potential for attraction that can override the, the, the some some level of problems, right? So, like in this movie, for example, uh, Woke Bay has his problems. Like he he talks in a, he talks in uh, AAVE. He does, you know, he he's in the middle of the hallway doing like white boy popping, right? Um, he he says stuff like, "I don't see race, I don't see color, I only see you." Um, and what what was the other thing? Like he uh, he like um, he said he said that ma- he likes sweet potato macaroni pie. Macaroni and cheese is a main is a main, not a side. You know things like that. Like he's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's stupid. But the the point being that. There, there are issues with woke bay in 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 this, right? But they're uh, laughably small. But there are problems with him. But the mutual attraction sort of overrides this. It'll, it'll, it doesn't matter because there's this stronger attract attraction element that makes all that sort of not a problem. Uh, and I think that's what Jamila was pointing out was like, see, um, and it, this was in response to someone saying that you know white women are not natural allies of black women. And, you know, they should be careful. Um, she said, well, I, I know how to spot white women because I'm not attracted to them. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. I mean, just to go higher level for a second, I, you know, I, I, um, I've learned to become extremely suspicious of generalizations of any sort. <laughs> you know, my point is here, like, you know, everyone's different. Right. And so, you know, I, uh, I just need to acknowledge that. Yeah, uh, a few more points I want to bring up. I mean, like this movie, I think on the surface looks like a very radical movie, but uh, a few things to point out. I mean, they they mentioned the issue of things like private prisons and economic equality being responsible for, you know, someone like Khalil having to resort to drug dealing in order to pay for it. I think it's like his mom's medical expense or whatever, but it really doesn't delve any deeper into that. It doesn't propose that, you know what, maybe we should... Uh, overhaul the entire system so it, it like pays lip service to it but actually doesn't pursue it and i mean when you compare the ending to i think a really uh dark revolutionary movie like la Haine, in which the movie just ends with complete senseless violence i mean la Haine is this movie that was based on these uh riots in in paris in the in the mid 90s having to do with um issues between i think immigrants from north africa and, and the native Parisian population. Um, but, you know, the, the way that The Hate You Give wraps up so neatly, Teen, you mentioned it as like a Lowe's commercial, uh, <laughs> as opposed to a movie like La Haine, I think shows you what what the movie's real sensibility is. It's not really trying to, I think... It's, it's trying to uh, tell, I think, the, the average middle-of-the-road person, hey, you don't have to be scared of all this. Um, you know, we're kind of like you. And it's not trying to ruffle too many feathers. Right. And and for the time being, I think that's okay. For now. You know, it's a decent start. It's a good I jumping th- off point. Lyane was the uh was the movie that Justin Chan said was most well, he was basically trying to recreate or he take 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 his inspiration from Lyane when he made uh, Gook. Uh which is one of the reasons he said he shot it in black and white. And which similarly ends in senseless violence. Um, as Lahane, and there's no redemptive value to that violence. Uh, I think I want to again. I, I uh, maybe I risk offending people, but I one of the things about Gook that I really liked, which also which, which explored an interracial relationship, but a different kind of interracial relationship, which was more of a 
um, like a paternal more of a, relationship, a, a friendship, or yes, yeah, like quasi paternal, sort of like older brother, little sister kind of relationship. There was absolutely no romantic tension there. Um, it was between a, an older Asian a young man and a, and a kid, a, a black girl who was basically a kid. And uh, their relationship is one of, of sort of surrogate siblings. Uh, the reason I liked that, it, it, maybe this goes back to what you're saying about why does everything have to include a romantic relationship? I think this movie, Gook, did not include a romantic relationship. And I thought it was for the better because, again, and it kind of goes back to Jamila's yeah, tweet, definitely. which is that attraction brings this very individualistic sense of, 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 of um, harmony. And I have a real problem when movies use that very individualized sense of harmony between two people and tries to project it outwards and say, there's a broad lesson that can be learned from this. There usually isn't. Uh, the, this is a very, like you said, everyone's individual. The reason for their attraction to each other is highly individual. And the problem is when you try and draw out broad lessons from that individual case. I thought Gook was more successful in the sense, along the reasons why Lane was successful. Uh, in Gook, there, you don't, you're not, you don't, there, because the attraction isn't there, you're looking at what the bonds between these two people really are that's not being driven by something just like attraction, right? There's, there's some more basic, decent, there's some more basic human uh, factor of human decency, you know, how we treat someone else from across the from across the tracks with basic sure, decency. You know, yeah, just basic friendship. friendship. I don't want anything out of this girl. He doesn't want anything out of this girl. She just wants a friend. He just wants his uncle to treat this little black girl with some fucking basic decency. And I felt that that was a very convincing and moving uh, scene where he yells at his uh, Justin Chan yells at his immigrant uncle because it felt real. It was like this. She's a really nice girl. Why you got to treat her like that? That to me is much more of a uh, trans that, that of much more radical exploration of human uh, relationships than you know. I, I see say. you now. I don't see race. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just not even co- comparable. Yeah, that, I, I guess that's what I'm getting at, um, Millie. Is I agree with you that that we should look at things individually. The problem is that these movies don't look at them individually. They extrapolate it. One thing we also noted at our Joe Jr. late night conversation was that this movie seemed to be pretty smart in not introducing a Killmonger figure <laughs> uh, in which uh, in which like the kind of like antithetical viewpoint is is in such a like a attractive, you know, both like physically and figuratively, you know, in the, in the form of Michael B. Jordan uh, form that it actually <laughs> might threaten the, the overall message and uh, I forgot whether it was Trevor or Teen you, uh, who pointed out, but it was like, you know, Disney probably knew that Killmonger would be more popular in T'Challa. And they were like, yeah, we're, we're still going to put it in. Uh, and it was like pretty ballsy of, of them to do that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was telling Trevor, I think that Disney should be um, praised to some extent for Killmonger and, and casting someone as uh, appealing as Michael B. Jordan for it. Because they kind of know, like... On the surface, they're going to get away with saying, well, see, we, we showed that in the end that Killmonger was wrong. Uh, but on the other hand, we made Killmonger by far the coolest character in, in, in the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> so props to them for that little bit of underhanded savagery. I like it. Uh, one last point I want to raise is when uh, Woke Bay goes to meet the father. And is it, I thought 
um, that was a really funny, well done scene, well acted. Like when when like Seven's like quizzing him about the little, uh, I guess ins and outs of of like black culture. Like, do you think macaroni and cheese is a side dish or a whole meal? It's as an outsider, it's so seductive because it's like, oh, it's so cute, you know. It's like the the white guy <laughs> and the black girl, and they're bonding over, you know, Thanksgiving. Um, but I thought the most kind of like, wait, what the hell moment was when mm. um, after I think Woke Bay leaves. The father obviously has some issues with uh, him because he's white. And then he, but then he says, well, I guess I never portrayed, you know, the, the strong image of a black man. And I was like, oh, that's a, that's a little on the nose, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it seemed to be. Uh... <laughs> yeah, the movie's not super subtle in every way, you know. It... You want to do final final judgments? Final judgments. Um, I will say, uh, like technically, very well made movie. Um, I think everyone should go see it for their own to to make their own judgment. But ultimately, history won't. Yeah, now that we've spoiled the whole thing for you, <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> please go see it now. <laughs> ultimately, history won't be kind to this movie. That said, please go see it and support it in the theater. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree. I, it's worth seeing. Um, I I took a very specific. Uh, I took a very specific lesson from it, which is that it's it, this is the same. This the hate you give embodies a kind of narrative, uh, which, I, which I would say pro-conformist or pro-assimilationist. Uh, it's a it's a pro-conformist, pro-assimilationist narrative, and that kind of narrative, I think, uh, will always always have to rely on the existence of. Um, of of an evil within the uh, within the community within the ethnic community itself. That's it's it's got to go that way because it's the only justification for integrating into a system that you know uh, ha- is is racist. Man, such a such a downer of an ending. <laughs> I know. Sorry, but uh, hey, you said uh, we you said you want to put yeah. it on the record, right? So I'm just put I'm just. You you wanted to put it on the record, so you might as well just say it. Yeah. Anyone discovers this podcast in a hundred years, we were we were prophets. It's, it's hundred <laughs> years. Like, Holy cow! Escape from Plan in A was years. right <laughs> in two years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, guys. Thanks for joining. Um, I uh, hope you have a good Sunday and yeah, good good week yeah, so too. far. Always fun. Thanks so much, guys. Hi, thanks for listening to Escape from Plan A. If you like us, please subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and whatever platforms we have ended up on. And please, 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 if you like us, we don't ask much from you. We don't charge any money. Uh, But if you like us, go rate us on iTunes or whatever you can rate us on. Give us five stars. uh, Leave a comment. It really helps us. And our articles are available on planamag.com. So read them, comment on them, propagate them, etc. And Rest until next week, see you guys. That's right, boy. It's going on right here. Thug life. God bless the dead. God bless the dead and bubby nigga Don't worry if you see God first Tell him shit got worse, I ain't mad I know you representing the crew And I can picture you in heaven with a blunt and a brute Fuck the world, pain was a part of the game If you were baller